Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sankard. Today's stories, the anti-homeless person legislation in Tennessee is going into effect on July 1st. That would make it a felony to camp on public land. Idaho legislators are asking Congress to close the zone of death, a portion of Yellowstone Park that is constitutionally lawless. And the president of the Louvre Museum in Paris gets busted for legal art dealings. All of that and more, here's what you need to know. Starting July 1st, it will be a felony, punishable by up to six years in prison for camping on local public property such as parks, as well as state-owned property in Tennessee. Now, let's be clear here. Camping in this context is a euphemism for homeless people setting up tents because they have nowhere else to go. Tennessee law defines illegal camping as certain activities during overnight hours, like putting up a tent or furniture, storing personal belongings or food, cooking, sleeping, setting down something to sleep on, starting a fire, things like that. It's pretty broad. The bill also makes it a Class C misdemeanor for camping along highways, under bridges, or near overpasses. We've covered homelessness on the show before, and it's an issue I'm particularly passionate about. Let me add some context to this bill before I tell you what I think of it, which you can probably already guess. According to the National Alliance to End Homelessness, in January of 2020, and this is two years ago, there were nearly 600,000 homeless people in the United States, over half a million. Tennessee was reported to have about 7,500 at that time. Now, all these statistics were gathered before covid So if I were to bet, I would take the over on them having increased since January of 2020 by how much it's hard to say. Now, this isn't an economics podcast, but the cost of housing in the United States is currently astronomical, with rental prices soaring the past year far beyond what most people can afford to say nothing of the home ownership market. And here's some more context. The minimum wage in Tennessee is $7.25 an hour. According to MIT's living wage calculations that account for the cost of housing, local taxes, etc., a livable wage for a single adult, no kids, in Tennessee, in Nashville particularly, is $17.63 an hour. Now, none of this surprises anyone, right? People are homeless for a lot of reasons we don't have to get into, but obviously the core reason is that they don't have enough money to rent a house for one reason or another. Drugs, mental illness whatever, you know what I'm talking about. I'll quote from a piece in the Tennessean by Father Charles Strobel, the founding director of a homeless charity called Room in the Inn. Quote, make no mistake, anyone can fall on hard times and be unable to pay their bills. Anyone can find themselves in an abusive relationship with nowhere to escape but the streets. Anyone can wind up in the throes of mental illness that destabilizes their life and their security. More importantly, When we legalize the dehumanization of others, we dehumanize ourselves, unquote. So let's set aside the morality of something like this because that's not why you listen to the show. We discuss legal issues and how they can impact the daily lives of Americans. You can go to church if you want to hear about what's right and wrong. This is just bad legislation because it is far more likely to make the problem worse than better. Now, let's assume someone is homeless in Nashville, Tennessee's biggest city, and the city with the biggest homeless encampments. The minimum wage is $7.25. Cost of living, according to MIT, requires at least $17.60 to live a normal life. Let's assume that this hypothetical homeless person has gotten clean and wants to get back on track. 
Most jobs, especially low-income jobs, ask whether you're a felon on the application. Do you think our hypothetical homeless person is going to have an easier or a harder time getting a job if they're convicted of a felony for sleeping on public land? Do you think they'll have an easier or a harder time getting a job that pays enough for them to rent an apartment with a felony on their record? Do you think they'll have an easier or a harder time getting a job that pays $17.60 an hour necessary to live a somewhat normal life with a felony on their record? Of course not. I get the impulse to want to clean up the streets. I get the impulse to want to keep public parks free of drug culture, keep them a safe place for members of the public, for children, things like that. But nothing says, why bother trying at all, more than felonizing homeless people. Because once that felony is on their record, you've just made it the incredibly difficult task of pulling someone out from homelessness that much harder. It is bad legislation. It is so bad that supporters in the Tennessee legislature are defending it by saying that it is probably not going to be enforced. Then why pass it? Why pass it at all? Sorry, folks, if your best justification for a new law is don't worry, we don't think anyone's going to actually enforce it, then you've made a mistake. It's bad policy that if anything will likely increase the problem of homelessness in Tennessee urban areas, in my humble opinion. Up next, and this is a really fun one, Idaho legislators are asking Congress to intervene and redistrict the U.S. federal courts in that state to close the, quote, zone of death, a portion of the state of Idaho where it may not be constitutionally possible to prosecute crimes in. This is a fun one. Hang with me for a bit. So the zone of death is a 50 square mile portion of Yellowstone National Park that has no legal residence and hasn't in forever, frankly. It is mostly in Wyoming, but some parts of the park spill into Montana and Idaho. The park was established in 1872 before those states even existed. Now, back in 2005, a law professor at Michigan State University, Brian Colt, noticed something peculiar about a little plot of land in Yellowstone that would become to known as the zone of death. And he wrote a law review article about it called The Perfect Crime. You could look it up. When each of Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming were admitted to the Union in 1889 and 1890, they ceded exclusive jurisdiction of each of its portion of Yellowstone to the federal government. So those states cannot enforce their own state laws in the park. They operate under federal law. For whatever reason, when Congress was setting up the U.S. District Court of Wyoming, it placed the entire Yellowstone Park in that district for the Wyoming U.S. District Court. So the District of Wyoming is the only U.S. District Court that includes multiple states. Probably done for administrative reasons, but as Professor Call pointed out, this has constitutional issues. Now, here's a hypothetical that Professor Call sets out in his paper. Quote, say that you were in the Idaho portion of Yellowstone, and you decide to spice up your vacation by going on a crime spree. You make some moonshine, you post some wildlife, you strangle some people and steal their picnic baskets. You get arrested, arraigned in the park, bound over for trial in Cayenne, Wyoming, before a jury drawn from the Cayenne area. But Article 3, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution plainly requires that trial be held in Idaho, the state in which the crime was committed. Perhaps if you fuss convincingly enough about it, the case would be sent to Idaho. 
But then the Sixth Amendment requires that a jury be from the state, Idaho, and the district, Wyoming, where the crime was committed. In other words, the jury would have to be drawn from the Idaho portion of Yellowstone National Park, which, according to the 2000 census, has a population of precisely zero. Now, the piece clarifies why this is a problem. The Constitution entitles you to a jury trial and an impartial jury of inhabitants of the state and district where the crime was committed. The U.S. Code steps on the rusty nail. It makes it impossible to satisfy both provisions in the case of the Yellowstone State Line Strangler. Assuming that you do not feel like consenting to a trial in Cayenne, you should go free, unquote. So basically, if you're in the Idaho portion of Yellowstone and commit a crime, Constitution entitles you to a jury that is both from the state where the crime occurred and within the district where it occurred. Because of this weird arrangement in Yellowstone Park, the jury would have to come from the Wyoming U.S. Court District, but also from the part of Idaho that is included in that district, where no one lives. So it is impossible to prosecute someone there absent a change of the current district court setup. Now, that's exactly what Idaho is asking Congress to do return the Idaho portion of Yellowstone to the Idaho U.S. District Court and to avoid this scenario. Do with this information what you will, folks. And for our last story, Jean-Luc Martinez was president of the Louvre Museum from 2013 until just last year when he stepped down in light of this scandal. According to Sky News, Jean-Luc was under investigation from 2018 onward and was accused of turning a blind eye to the fake certificates of origin for certain pieces, including a rare pink granite slab depicting the pharaoh Tutankhamun uh, for around $8 million, which is a crime that an Indiana Jones villain would be accused of. Specifically, he was charged with the complicity and fraud and the, quote, concealing the origin of a criminally obtained work by false endorsement, unquote, according to France 24, a French outlet. Now, a German gallery owner who brokered the sale was also arrested in Hamburg in March and was extradited to Paris for questioning. According to the French outlet, quote, French investigators suspect that hundreds of artifacts were pillaged during the Arab Spring protests that engulfed several Middle Eastern countries in the early 2010s and then sold to galleries and museums that did not ask too many questions about the previous ownership, unquote. The story gets a little bit bigger as it was reported that some of the same French experts who certified the Tutankhamun slab also certified another prized Egyptian work, the gilded coffin of an Egyptian priest, which was purchased by the Met Museum in New York in 2017. That coffin, which again was certified by the same French experts who certified the Tutankhamun slab as not stolen, turns out was stolen and was eventually returned to Egypt in 2019 after it was found out that it had been stolen. Quoting from a piece back in 2019 in Artsy Magazine on the issue, the Met acquired the coffin in 2017 from a Paris-based dealer from $4.2 million, who says it was purchased from a private collection. The coffin came with a 1971 Egyptian export license, which was exposed as a forgery. In reality, the artifact had been stolen from the Minya region of Egypt in the country's 2011 revolution and then was smuggled to the United Arab Emirates, then Germany, then France. The Met cooperated fully in the investigation and its director said he will personally lead a review of the museum's acquisitions process to prevent such deception in the future, unquote. 
Now, if you didn't know, illicit art and artifact trades is the third biggest black market on earth behind only guns and drugs. In the United States, and particularly auction halls in New York City, are notorious for serving as a clearinghouse for those artifacts. This is not the first time that European art has gotten laundered through American museums. Now, if you want to know more about this stuff, which I find endlessly fascinating, I highly recommend that you Google Michelle Van Rijen, R-I-J-N. He's an international art forger and smuggler turned spy for Scotland Yard. And what he used to do in the New York auction halls is incredible. Uh, check him out. Anyways, the president of the Louvre getting arrested for illicit art deals is only ironic if you don't know that most of the stuff in the Louvre was probably acquired by nefarious means at some point or another. Anyways, we'll keep an eye on whether any additional American buyers are implicated in the same scam. All right. Thanks, everyone. That's the show. Reminder, every Tuesday, new episode, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Don't do anything weird in Yellowstone Park because of this. And if you do, it's not my fault that I explicitly denounce whatever it is you're thinking about doing there. I do recommend that everyone check out Michelle Van Regen, fascinating fellow. He's written a lot about the illicit art trade. And otherwise, I will talk to you next week.